Experience the beauty and emotion of Lent and Easter with Christianity Today's newest devotional, Easter, in the everyday. Thoughtful readings from a variety of pastors, theologians, and writers invite you into the emotional stages of Christ's journey, from humility to hope to love. Beginning on Ash Wednesday and ending at Pentecost, this digital devotional is perfect for individual or group study. Get it today at orderct.com easter24. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. My name is Kimberly Cook, and I'm the Senior Administrator at the Hendricks Center. And today we're going to be talking about church attendance and why we should go to church. And to, and we're all joined by Dr. Michael Spiegel, the department chair and professor of theological studies, and Dr. Glenn Kreider, who is the professor, a professor of theological studies both here at DTS. So we're thrilled to have you all. Thank you so much Thank for you. joining us today. So we're just going to jump in uh, to the topic of why should we go to church? Mm. And some people listening might think that that is the most elementary, ridiculous question. Mm-hmm to be asking, <laughs> but all the statistics say that, um, one, just church attendance in general is going down. People are going less frequently, and uh, so whereas old church, regular church attendance might have been considered three or four Sundays a month, people who legitimately consider themselves regular church attenders may only attend once a month, once every six weeks, mm-hmm. and they consider that regular attendance, mm-hmm. which is just very different. It's a shift from what we have historically seen. So there's that dimension. And in a Pew Research study in 2014, it talked about how uh, boomers are reducing their attendance and you know, just essentially not coming anymore, especially after they retire and they just mm-hmm. kind of retire from church too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, and not to mention all everything that we see online about Gen Z and millennials. In fact, we had a focus group with some millennial women leaders who we usually throw out this question. We say, you know, is, what is one podcast that you'd like to see? What's something that would be helpful? A question you'd like to be asked? And they said, please do one on why should we why people should go to church because mm-hmm. we have that conversation all the time with mm-hmm. the women we're trying to mentor mm-hmm. and trying to convince them that they need to go to church and it's an important thing. So while it seems very elementary to some people, it's a very real issue. It's a very real, I guess, it's a reality. And the question is, is it even a problem? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it okay? It's just a shift that we've seen in our culture? Or is it indicative of something that is not good that we need to be aware of and address. So, Dr. Spiegel, let's start with you. Okay. Is it even a problem? Yeah, I think it's a problem. I think, uh, first of all, we have to sort of set aside and sever out uh, one of the main reasons people not going to church is because they just don't believe it. Um, we are in an increasingly post-Christian society. Mm-hmm. So, back in the day, uh, going to church was just part of um, part of American culture oftentimes. They they go to church because mommy and daddy went to church, because grandma and grandpa went to church. And as uh, the American Western identity is less and less Christian, you're going to see a, a decreasing number of people going to church regularly. So we're going to set that aside and really address the people who identify themselves as 
uh, believers, um, those who have had some kind of a conversion experience or consider themselves devoted Christians or Christ followers, uh, we're seeing even those people not seeing the significance or relevance of going to church um, regularly, as you say. And so we're talking about those that particular category. So I would say it is definitely a problem, um, and we'll discuss this a bit today, some of the biblical, uh, theological, practical reasons uh, for uh, church attendance. But yeah, I want to make sure that we're talking about the same No, thank you. Same groups, yeah, yes. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that, um, that it is different doesn't necessarily mean it's a problem. Yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, a lot of this connects to what the church actually is and, and the purpose of the church. Um, but I think there's another factor to add to Dr. Spiegel's list is that there are all kinds of other options mm-hmm. uh, in a day and time in the past where your social life really was uh, connected yeah. to the church and those communities. Today, with all kinds of other options, people are busy and they sometimes kind of fall into a habit of not going and waking up sometime later and realizing, you know, I haven't been in church in yeah. a long time. Mm-hmm. There was a time when the church literally was the center of a community. Mm-hmm. It was the tallest yeah. people in the right and and, <laughs> and that the was the was all around exactly it and, and yeah. that was the center of uh, a social um really the life of of that community and increasingly you know you have uh the the advent of radio and the advent of television uh, various delivery methods for the message uh then those who take the message seriously have multiple options um, and then also, there are obviously numerous ways to um, have social connections besides just mm-hmm. a church community. So uh, we are definitely, if I can use this term, in competition with a number of things claiming to, to be relevant for uh, a pers- person's social dimension, uh, relationships, uh, as well as spiritual care and feeding. Mm-hmm. And so there's that, that question, why would I need to actually go to a brick-and-mortar building? Because that's how many people think of church. Mm-hmm. Even though we insist over and over again, church is not about the building, it's the people, 90% of the time we use the word church, we're probably talking about a place. Mm-hmm. You can essentially have a fellowship potluck on a text message string. Yeah, right. <laughs> string. Seems to be the you case, know, you right? Don't, you don't need to go there. Right. Supposedly. So in the 21st century, you're dealing with all of these new yes. complexities. Mm-hmm. So you brought up, what is the church? Mm-hmm. So if, let's just jump into that conversation a little bit. You know, maybe part of why people aren't seeing it as important as it has been in the past, in addition to technological advances mm-hmm. and just shift in culture and that kind of thing, is because there's been a lack of education as mm-hmm. to what... What it is and what it what does. What the church is, yeah. what its purpose is, what mm-hmm. my role mm-hmm. in the purpose of the church is. You know, let's talk about that a little bit. Dr. Kreider, why don't you mm-hmm. jump in with what what do we what should we understand the church is? Yeah, and then there's also the question of the distinction between or the difference between the church universal, the mm-hmm. church as a whole, and the local mm-hmm. church. And those conversations get a bit confusing. Well, in here we're really talking probably more about that the local, local church. church. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> really what and and that's an important it is part of the context for this that's for true. this discussion because that, that that becomes an important. The people context. on my text mm-hmm. string are, are all Christians, so I mm-hmm. am at church. Yeah, yeah. except you're not. 
<laughs> I know. <laughs> um, from the very beginning of the biblical story, God's people have always done life together. That from it's not good for the man to be alone in Genesis 2 uh, to the call of Abraham and the constitution of the people of Israel. God's people have always done life together. So I think that's, that's kind mm-hmm. of a given as we begin to read the biblical story. But something happens, and as dispensationalists, we believe the the church is a new uh, part of God's plan. It's 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 a different way of of, of uniting people together uh, through the the covenant that that God uh, instituted through the person and work of Christ and His death, burial, resurrection, and so that there's a transition from the the people of God under the old covenant. Israel and the people connected to Israel. And then this new part, this new people of God, this new, um, this, this not, that's not a new people, but it's a, a new way of, <clears throat> of describing God's people, <clears throat> excuse me, that's made up of, of not one ethnicity, but made up of Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, male and female, uh, so, so that no longer is the constitution of the nation the thing that unites its faith in Christ. The other way to, to get at the question <clears throat> I think is to see it's easier to des- to describe what the church is than to define it. The the Greek word ekklesia, which means assembly, many people argue is that's what the church means. It's it's people assembled together. But it seems to me that in the New Testament, when particularly in the epistles, when that word ekklesia is used, it's used of a people, not of a people gathered together. So, so what is it that unites this people? It's they're they're people related to God through the new covenant. And then the metaphors that the Bible uses: it's a body, mm. it's a bride. It's a household. It's a family. It's a, a family. It's a um, what am I missing? A, f- a field. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of which yeah. are uh, pictures of a uh, of a group of people together, made up of various people, various um, ethnicities, etc., and different functions that are all united together in one common purpose. So my simple definition of the church, it's the new covenant community, and, and what marks them is faith in Christ and the indwelling work of the Spirit. Okay. So what is, Dr. Siegel, what is, do you think is the purpose hmm. of this new covenant community? Yeah, so the way I've um, kind of packaged my uh, teaching regarding the church, the, the what it is and what it does uh, around specific marks that uh, define uh, and set the parameters around that community. So I, I have three O's, orthodoxy, what we believe, uh, which establishes our, our identity in Christ, uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, certain basic fundamental uh, doctrines and uh, um, also certain lifestyle that kind of define us. Uh, then order, there is leadership established from the very beginning. There was ordained uh, proper leadership. Uh, so this would clearly rule out just any group, just mm-hmm. we three sitting at this table. Yes, two or three are gathered together, mm-hmm. but it's not the church. He's not our bishop. I'm not the deacon. You know, So we're not... Uh, we haven't tried uh, to establish We haven't established an order, an mm-hmm. order right, mm-hmm. in mobilizing that way. And then uh, the ordinances, uh, you from the very beginning, biblically, all the way through, uh, baptism was your right of initiation. We are called to make disciples, and you do that by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's how you become a disciple. And then we are to teach, um, to observe whatsoever Christ commanded. And so that 
is uh, marked by the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, which is also a sign of the New Covenant community gathering mm-hmm. around an actual table with those elements, which cannot be done uh, virtually, neither of those things. Mm-hmm. So if you look at it as the identity-forging uh, marks as orthodoxy, order, and ordinances, you're already seeing that you're dealing with something more than just a gathering of few mm-hmm. believers. Then those people are mobilized for certain things, edification um, or evangelism, that is, calling people into that, that community, uh, edification, which is building up uh, spiritual growth, we may call it, or sanctification, which always in the New Testament is a corporate image. It is building up the pieces, working together, the, the idea of the priesthood of all believers, which I'm sure we'll get into, and then all of that for the purpose of the glory of God, which I say exaltation. So uh, this worshiping community of disciples. Um, Dr. Kreider's right, it's easier to describe it mm-hmm. than it is to define it, and so that description of those those three marks, the three works, I think, um, at least kind of give us an idea, the contours of it. It's not the only way to look at it, uh, but traditionally, those have been sort of the what it is, what it does. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we begin to see um, there, this is a little bit more complicated than just uh, a social media, Christians online gathering. group, a cri- ki- Christians mm-hmm. gathering, or even a parachurch ministry. Mm-hmm. All of those things may be doing good things, but they're not doing everything that a an actual assembly of the church would do. Yeah, I argue what your church is must drive what mm-hmm. she does, and uh, what she does is not unique to her necessarily. There are, there are organizations other than sure. churches that are structured and organized, and there are whether or not they should be. Uh, Carrying out some of those things, yes. Carrying mm-hmm. out the, the, the ordinance, et cetera. So that I, I, I summarize the function of the church in terms of the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. It's, that uh, It's really hard, and you read through the New Testament, you see it everywhere. It's really hard to practice loving one another if By you're yourself. not actually together with one yep. another. And that somehow... The, the mission of God in this world, that God is worshipped by a variety of voices mm. gathered together and worshipping him, that um, brings glory to him and reveals who he is, and carrying out the, 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 the call to uh, follow Jesus and to be part of this community, to join with others in doing so, is, uh, is, is, is the focus and the function of the church. So those, those marks are not at all mm-hmm. unimportant, uh, and, and they contribute to mm-hmm. the great commandment, loving God and loving others, and, um, and the Great Commission, making disciples. Mm-hmm. So if I'm listening to this as a college student or a 27-year-old something who, um, you know, just is really questioning and wanting to know, I mean, genuinely wanting to do the right thing and follow the Lord, but just not sure that I feel like it's all that important, you know, and I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying and I'm hearing what the church is, but what is my role in that? That sounds like really big, grandiose pictures that... In some ways, I can see is me getting together with my friends on a Saturday at Starbucks. In some ways, I can see your point, you know, that there are, mm-hmm. there is order and the ordinances, like, you know, communion and baptism aren't necessarily happening there, that kind of thing. Okay, I can, I can see you, but what is my specific role in this community that you're talking about and what makes it important for me to show up? 
throughout history, the normatively, the church has been made up, the community has been made up of of a diversity of people, mm-hmm. and I I really do believe this is true. Uh, it, it's not about what you give or what you or what you get out of it as much as it is what you give. That there really is a sense in which a member of the body, a member of the community that is missing, not mm. only that person suffers, but the whole community suffers. And it, it, I know this is, again, pretty theoretical and uh, difficult to help people feel what that what that's like. Um, but that historically, th- that diversity is an in- a really important function that that 20-something or college student actually needs to be involved in mm-hmm. a community with people younger and older, people from a variety of backgrounds and experiences. And it's not simply that you glean something from or learn something from, although that's an important task too, but you're mentored by, and you're actually, something actually happens when when people who have a common goal, a common focus, uh, and a, a common identity in the person who work of Christ do life together. Yeah, and at this point, I want to—I said I would come back to it. I want to bring in the concept of the priesthood of all mm-hmm. believers, and in Ephesians chapter four says that that Christ ascending on high uh, turns around and sends to the church the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Um, are, are the church leadership, those who are um, the gifts to the church in that sense, but for the purpose of equipping the saints, that is the members of that community who have come together from every walk of life, um, to do the work of the ministry. And that work of the ministry is for the building up of the body of Christ, that is the, the encouraging and exhorting of one another to love God and love one another. And so a lot of times the, the idea of the priesthood of all believers has been really misunderstood in a very individualistic sense in the, in the idea that I'm my own priest, when in fact new, the New Testament indicates that it's really we are each other's priests and we are showing up not so I can get fed or what, what can I benefit, mm-hmm. which does happen. But really, how can I minister to others? How can I be um, a spirit-filled gift to the church in my exercising of that, um, whatever that may be, encouraging, exhorting, um, confronting, sharing a hymn, sharing a psalm, preaching, um, moving chairs around, whatever that may be. And I also love the the idea of diversity as well. Uh, It challenges you uh, when you're when you're rubbing shoulders and just doing life with people who are older than you from a different generation, mm-hmm. um, people who are of a different um, ethnicity, different language, different culture, it uh, makes things not just more interesting, it actually spurs us mm-hmm. to uh, a depth of love and concern and understanding that we couldn't have in any other way. Mm-hmm. And so that just bringing together, of course, if it's real, community and fellowship, um, just sitting next to somebody who's different, watching and then leaving, um, as part of a common audience, you might as well go to a concert. Mm. Uh, we're talking about real, much more deeper life together than just a, um, a kind of a superficial mm-hmm. lining up in rows. Yeah, and that, that, that's another really important factor here, is that in a lot of ways, the way church is practiced mm. today is difficult to see how my contribution is actually needed mm-hmm. and um, and important because much of 
many churches is performance driven and mm-hmm. watching. Uh, but I would also, I mean, I think somewhere in this conversation, it's important, and I'll be that guy, um, that the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 mm-hmm. actually does instruct followers of Jesus not to forsake the yeah. assembly together. Mm-hmm. And for those who take the scripture seriously, I think that that voice needs to be heard too. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's not the only answer to the question. We don't right. want to be able to say, well, the, this is yeah. the, There's a reason yeah. scripture says that. Right. Because yeah. it is essential for our spiritual growth. Yeah. And it's always been. I mean, mm-hmm. God's people have always done life together. You can't read the Old Testament and not mm-hmm. see those times that are set aside regularly for festivals that last a long period of time mm-hmm. and people do life together. And maybe, mm-hmm. maybe if we'd start doing that, we'd have <laughs> people much more likely to get up on Sunday morning and go to church if we yes, if you if you reduce um, church to just lining up or, or sitting in rows and mm-hmm. listening to a message pretty soon people are going to realize well I can just I can log in online. or listen mm-hmm. to a message mm-hmm. if, if it's merely receiving uh, content uh, which it, that's part of part of it but it's not the only thing yeah. and so I would say at, at this point though as you do as and many listeners will will know this that as you do though start to get tangled up in community and you're doing your life together uh that can lead to uh, a little bit of discomfort and even pain maybe even some suffering because we are all you know not one of us is a messiness there's a lot of messiness <laughs> in true yeah. community just like there is messiness in a in a true family kind mm-hmm. of community so um on the one hand, that's a good sign when you're a little uncomfortable because you realize that you're going beyond that superficial level. On the other hand, um, uh, people can get hurt, mm-hmm. and uh, as they do in real natural families. So mm-hmm. uh, it's just, that's something else we'll have to address as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm hearing the the obligatory and necessary. We are straight up commanded <laughs> to sure. to not forsake the gathering of the believers. You and, know. and he says more and more as you see the day approaching. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. I think ironic that churches, <laughs> particularly in the West, have tended to yeah. meet together less and less. Yes, yeah, and it's also an opportunity for us to be sharpened mm-hmm. by other believers, to be the sharpening agent mm-hmm. for other believers, and. Um, I, I'll never forget something Dr. Kreider said to me or in class, or I'm not sure where it was, so I clearly have forgotten. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll never forget the statement that um, sometimes if, if even for those who are struggling with doubt, not even sure if they believe, one of the beauties of the church, and this is the sharpening element, is that you can go... And sometimes people just have to believe for you, mm-hmm. like, and they believe for you. So, mm-hmm. so there is a beauty to showing up, mm-hmm. and that's something. Particularly, the younger dem- generations are well known for, you know, being noncommittal and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But even for the older ones who are starting to not come, there's, there is, there's something about, and we've talked about this on other podcasts. There's something about the physical presence mm-hmm. and we believe that the physical body matters that's a very christian belief and so when i physically choose to show up and to take the time which is one of our greatest commodities mm-hmm. nowadays uh-huh. is time yep. and when i do that i'm it's it's an act of worship in and of itself mm-hmm. it's an act of love and service to other believers and it's an act of obedience mm-hmm. Is what yeah. I'm hearing. Yeah, <clears throat> and it's that's a factor 
and this could be another whole conversation, but it's a, it's a, um, it helps us to understand why there, there must be a diversity of experiences and a diversity of human experiences in the, in the church gatherings too. We do a lot of instruction. We do mm -hmm. a lot of celebration um, in the churches, which I'm aware, not a great deal of lament and, mm -hmm. uh, and honesty mm -hmm. and vulnerability in some of those so that uh, the church ought to be the place where the whole gamut of human experiences yeah. suffering together we suffer together mm -hmm. we don't just mm -hmm. celebrate together yeah. we also we, we yeah. long together we hope together we suffer together we carry one another's burdens and uh, that that ought to be the uh, mm -hmm. one of the goals of the church i think this episode is brought to you in part by seattle's union gospel mission over 13,000 people in the seattle area are homeless Kathy is one of many who found a new life through Seattle's Union Gospel Mission. Growing up, my dad and I didn't get along. I kept running away from home until one time I was assaulted. After that, I carried a lot of pain inside of me, and I was doing a lot of drugs. I became homeless. It's taken me almost 40 years to get the healing I needed. But all along, God was looking out for me. He led me to the mission, and the mission has helped me in all kinds of ways. I've learned how to set boundaries and say no. Now I'm looking forward to working for the mission. I want people to know there's hope out there. God can help you heal. And grace will lead me home. To hear more, volunteer, or donate, visit UGM.org. And I like how you brought up the the fact that we are we are bodies. We're not just mm. spirits who happen to be trapped in bodies. Um, a healthy uh, Christian worldview, incarnational worldview. I think that's very important because I encounter a lot of people who will say, "Well, I'm a I'm a member of the spiritual mm. body of Christ, the invisible body." Yeah. The, and I and I say, "Are you listening to yourself? <laughs> the spiritual body. It is the body of Christ. This is the image that." That he's chosen to to emphasize here. So, um, and again, what what Dr. Kreider said earlier, the there's sometimes a, a failure to understand um, what we mean by local versus universal church. Uh, you really, if you properly understand those terms, you can't be a member of the the universal or the church Catholic that the in the traditional sense uh, without being a member of a church local. The the church Catholic or the church universal is all of the local churches throughout the world thought of as a whole. And then the spiritual, you know, especially in the Augustinian and, and Protestant tradition, the, the distinction between visible and invisible church mm -hmm. is the invisible church is really the true believers, the truly true believers known to God in the visible church. The idea is the uh, any local church would be a mixed group. Not everybody is necessarily um, a, a genuine Christian. That's the understanding. So. In a proper understanding of these terms, there really isn't um, a lot of room for the individual. The individual. Mm -hmm. I'm a member of some sort of mystical, invisible, universal, spiritual church without some connection to the physical body of Christ and the local expression of that. Which you were getting to earlier is often the priesthood of all believers is mm -hmm. often the justification for yeah, that. I'm type just my of own action, The right. individual. I yes, exactly. And I mm -hmm. and all of us together make up the church. We're a priesthood of all believers. And what I'm hearing you say is that's actually not the way to understand right. that. When you've already unpacked, but that it's a it the church universal mm -hmm. the 
visit the invisible church all of that is the gathering of the mm-hmm. smaller local mm-hmm. visible ones. Correct. <laughs> and if and, you're and if you're trying your, to be a part of the big right. one you have to be part we're of the each little other's one. priests mm-hmm. in it and that's where you you start looking closely at all of those one another's those mm-hmm. excruciating one another's of the new testament mm-hmm. uh, that's the priesthood of all believers we are um, coming together doing life together as the family of God over a long period of time. And so so that mm-hmm. if, if you just shift a few of these ideas of what the church is and what it's supposed to do and, and how I, how do I grow spiritually is another dimension of this. We've, we've taught, um, been taught and taught others that the key to spiritual growth is read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow is the old children's song. Well, it's really hard to, mm-hmm. to defend that biblically, ironically. Mm-hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with Not, reading oh, your Bible. Or read praying. your Bible and pray. Right, right. that's fine. But and that's the idea that part of sanctification, mm-hmm. right? But yeah. the idea that that is the key and you need to mm-hmm. reduce spiritual growth to that. Well, in the New Testament, whenever spiritual growth is talked about, it's always in a corporate context, mm-hmm. gathering together and growing together, um, and even growing into the image of Christ is a corporate concept. So, when we make that shift that adjustment, now the question is, should be, not should I go to church, but what does that mm-hmm. involvement in church look like? Mm-hmm. Because that reading the Bible has to be done in community. Mm-hmm. Uh, in any case, yeah. And and praying, if, if, if you're not involved in the lives of people, you're praying for just yourself. yourself. Yeah. yeah, Praying for one another, yeah. and it's, how do you pray for one another if you don't know anyone? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to parallel to the to the family. Mm-hmm. All of our families um, have strengths and weaknesses, function and dysfunction. But we'd say there's something, there's something really odd about a member of the family who never participates yeah. in family gatherings. Uh, they don't show up. They, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You're right. That's a, very That's a problem. Good. Mm-hmm. Um, so shifting the conversation a little bit, but I in in kind of taking a lot of these theological concepts mm-hmm. that we've been talking about and some ramificate and their ramifications, um, I thought we could just chat through a few people's common reasons. Mm, when sure. I say I, I'm not speaking as Kimberly Cook. <laughs> I'm speaking <laughs> right. as a person who might hold this opinion. Um, but there are several it seems, several common things that seem to come up. Um, as, I don't want to say as arguments for not attending mm-hmm. church, but as reasons, as justifications that people bring up. And I think some of the things we've talked about and other concepts, biblical and theological concepts, will arise as we kind of work through yeah, them. Sure. So I'm just going to start throwing them out, and we can discuss however many we get to, and um, and and how we need to think through these particular things that we really, if you are a regular church attender, that you may hear another person say, or that you may personally be holding to, and mm-hmm. it's you know kind of affecting whether or not you show up. Mm-hmm. So uh, what, and we've alluded to the personal Bible study a couple times, sure. but what would you say to a person who says? I do personal Bible study, and I attend a small group. Isn't that the same thing? Mm-hmm. Dr. Kreider, do you want to take that one? I say great, mm-hmm. uh, but you need more than your your small group diversity. Um, <clears throat> we tend to, st- in, in small groups, tend to surround ourselves with people who are kind of in the same life sure. stage of life, same experiences. You need the diversity. And... Um, and, and small groups are an incredibly uh, important part of the process, and Bible study an important part of the process. But, but I mean, historically, God's people have always done life together, 
And there has always been this worship experience that that is lacking in a in a in a in a small group setting like that. The the diversity that mm-hmm. that's I mean that's my word for the day. Diversity. Oh yeah, no, I like it, and I like it. <laughs> Corporate and, worship mm-hmm. itself is mm-hmm. significant. Sure. Yeah. yeah, and and one person by themselves cannot be male and female, Jew and Gentile, free and slave. You you it's impossible uh, to to. Um, experience the kind of community and diversity that God has in mind in the in the body of Christ. So so I would say again bringing back to the definition of the church a uh, lot of um, groups, small groups, parachurch ministries do accomplish one or two of these things, these works of the church, uh, but a an authentic bona fide body of Christ is going to be accomplishing all of those things. And it's it's the same reason you don't just eat sugar candy all day, or why you don't just eat wheat, or you don't just eat meat. Uh, We are designed to have uh, a balanced diet uh, of various nutrients, and the same thing is true. You don't just read your Bible, you don't just pray, but you are doing all of these things uh, together in community um, to the end of uh, the transformation of one another in the glory of God. I think the question also implies some common understanding of a distinction between a a small group and a Mm -hmm. church. I mean, a lot of small groups turn into churches. Bible studies are started. And a lot of churches have small groups. Churches Mm -hmm. have small groups, and there are a lot of small churches that. that, But I think I think we have this. we have an intuitive understanding of the difference between those two. That that I think actually. Um, implies something important about how deeply embedded the community mm-hmm. is in, in our understanding of the church. Okay, so what would we say to a person who said, I'm just not going to be legalistic about it. Mm-hmm. There are other holy things that I can do <laughs> on the weekend, um, including rest, my kids play sports, and we use that as an, event, as yep. an evangelism Camping. opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working mm-hmm. on the weekends. You know, that's a little bit more of a practical yep. thing. But, you know, how do we hand – obviously, we do not want to be legalistic mm-hmm. about it. But where is the line there between being legalistic and also valuing what we've been asked by Scripture to value? Let, let me first just say that it, it, obeying God or obeying Christ is not being legalistic. So a definition of legalism, first of all, has to be worked out. Uh, when Christ tells you to do something, you don't say, well, I'm not going to do that. If he tells you to do something regularly, um, doing that is not being legalistic. Legalism would be usually defined as man-made rules, doing things for um, the, the motive of uh, justifying oneself, these kinds of things, uh, rather than o- obeying Christ's command, which is what we as Christians are supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if if mm-hmm. what Dr. Kreider said is true, and it is, that Hebrews says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, doing that is not being legalistic, it's being obedient. Yet, I know what it's like mm. to have been raised in a legalistic community where Hebrews was used as an argument for you need to be there every Wednesday day. night, mm-hmm. Sunday yeah. night, and you can't Sunday, right? ever ever yeah. miss. And I think mm-hmm. something something is important here is on the one hand, as Mike said, these 
this command is to be followed. But there are there are exceptions. There are there are times and right. places where you know missing is. I mean, I I, I do a lot of teaching on the weekends, mm-hmm. and I'm often in a plane on Sunday, which makes it impossible mm-hmm. for me um, to be in church on Sunday morning. Um, but here's what happens: the missing one Sunday turns into missing. Sure, two Sundays turns into missing. You know, it's not that big a deal. And I, I think somewhere in that tension between we're free to, we have freedom, mm-hmm. and we also have responsibilities. Yes, and recognizing those. So, so you know, I often hear people talk about. Um, the, the the problem with um, sporting events being scheduled mm-hmm. on on Sundays and that is a problem mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't we don't need a law that requires you, you to do it because people people's response to um, that keep the law because it's a law is is, is almost always innate rebellion against it mm-hmm. so so I I would just say if you have a pattern of Never attending—that's mm-hmm. a problem. If you're making more excuses than than not, uh, uh, actually, because we actually do need—it's we're back to the family. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, how many family reunions do you miss before you miss being yeah. part of your family? Or family mm-hmm. meals, or 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 even in our in our careers and our work. I mean, it is it is acceptable, it is allowable to miss work on, on occasion, but it should be. The exception, not the rule. Uh, we should be occasional uh, church missers rather than mm-hmm. occasional church attenders. That should be the and, – and I totally agree that uh, I, I'm, I miss church sometimes. I'm out of town or, or things are going on. Um, but it's a high priority for me. Mm-hmm. I'd have to really plan around that and think through it. Mm-hmm. So, um, But I think if people understand what the church is, understand what it does and how important their attendance in that community, involvement in that community Comes is for them back. and for others, mm-hmm. uh, then uh, – and you're actually living life, you'll, you'll look forward to that. You, mm-hmm. You'll want, want that and you won't want to miss. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's an important part of the conversation. Thanks for bringing that mm-hmm. up. That, that um, our hope is and our desire is that people would find a church family, a church community that they long to go to, that they love to go to, that is helpful and affirming and encouraging and supportive. And it's not a matter of you roll out of bed on Sunday morning and say, I have to go to church. Uh, yeah. But I get to go to church again. There's, there's something happens when when we're together. On the other so hand, taking... when the, oh, yeah. No, go ahead. On the other hand, when those, those mornings do come, <laughs> oh, because... I don't know. There's sometimes a, a struggle at church or, or it's uncomfortable or you or the church are going through something. Um, you want to have that that personal relationship with those people in that mm-hmm. community. Think about you're not leaving a church. You're not avoiding a church. You're avoiding these people. You're leaving these people. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you start to view that over the long term as a family, um, that, that sense of of responsibility will kick in even when you don't don't mm-hmm. want to, and that that itself is transformative. Mm-hmm. So the pendulum of for people maybe giving reasons why they are not regularly attending or attending church at all, um, the pendulum swing from what you were talking about of you know finding somewhere that you want to go that mm-hmm. you know is a good ex- a good church, like is a good experience. Like I look forward to even on the harder days, mm-hmm. I'm committed to those people. Right. The pendulum is, 
well, I can't find a church that I like, mm. or I can't find a church that mm. has solid biblical teaching, that, that has solid teaching in my area. So it just hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. So what what would you say to those people? Pick one. <laughs> yeah, Be- yeah. There's a there. There really is this tension of um, you know agonizing about you know, making the right decision versus making a decision and then making it right. Mm. And there is a sense in which, uh, li- listen, I-, I tell my students, um, if you're going to be involved in church life and church ministry, you really have to de- develop a high tolerance for <laughs> imperfection mm. because there's no perfect church. There's nothing that's going to fit, uh, you know, what you were taught at the church growing up or the person who led you to the Lord or discipled you and told you the way. Th- not every church is going to teach that mm-hmm. um, not every church is going to be like you think it should be, and and we're just going to have to deal with imperfect people. So, ideally, I'm more of a kind of a communitarian in the sense of would rather shop locally. I'd rather go to church locally, and so um, you pick a, a church that's basically within your your general tradition, and and you go with it, and you contribute to that community. So. Um, I, I would really strongly urge people to not get in the cycle of of what they call church shopping, mm-hmm. you know, uh, spending a little time, then getting bored, moving on to the next thing, uh, but to really stick through it through the long haul. Because as many people smarter than us have said, there is no such thing as a perfect church. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, there, there are levels of frustration and levels of dissonance in every but you have to pick one if if the church is important if family is important if doing life together is important you, you make a commitment to it mm-hmm. and and sometimes it it requires building relationships it requires some stick-to-itiveness it requires persistence in order to fall in love with mm-hmm. something you wouldn't necessarily like at first glance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and thinking of it, though not du- not a direct parallel, but somewhat thinking of it like a marriage sure, in yeah. that you commit to somewhere and you eventually do, you know, it, the people who do get married, they commit to one person and mm-hmm. as the person you picked and whatever it becomes is what it becomes yeah. and you stick with it, you know, just mm-hmm. as long as you're able, you know, yeah. and not just mm-hmm. able in the sense that you're having a good time and... <laughs> Yeah. It's feeding you, mm-hmm. but as long as it's there or, yeah. you know, it really seems like, yeah. and that's where the, it obviously falls apart, but mm-hmm. but there is a, an element of that that commitment mm-hmm. to... To someone else. Yeah, and mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. and not looking anywhere else. Yeah, and the fact that the New Testament, the, it, some people, they don't, people don't realize that the dominant uh, picture of the church in the New Testament is a family, the idea that calling each other brothers and sisters, that was not a normal thing in the ancient world. Yeah. So um, re-emphasize and underscores the fact that this is viewed as a covenant community. It is a new covenant community of the Spirit. It is just as serious a covenant, more serious a covenant than even the covenant we make in marriage. And if people start taking their membership involvement then in that community as serious as they would a covenant commitment, uh, it would lead to yes, okay. I don't feel like doing this, but this is my; these are my people, and uh, I have an obligation to them. And so, I think changing just the perception of what does church membership really mean and what does it entail, even if your church doesn't have official membership, or even if they don't articulate it that way, you can, as an individual, commit to. I'm going to treat this like uh, a covenant commitment mm-hmm. until someone 
someone breaks that covenant, which does happen, of course. Okay. <clears throat> we have time for one more quick question. Mm-hmm. And it's when I ask you, you're going to say that's not quick. <laughs> but um, so just, you know, try to address it in the most succinct way possible. Sure. What would your advice to pastors and churches be who find themselves in conversations about this issue? Because it seems self-serving, mm-hmm. you know, that they're trying to convince you to come. They're justifying their own presence, that kind of thing. But it genuinely is spiritual instruction. Sure. So what can pastors do? To, what can they say and how can they talk about it? And what can churches do to just kind of make themselves a little bit accessible and, and address kind of some of the things we've talked about, the people, the reasons why people don't come? The, okay. on, on the one hand, it's easy to criticize the seeker mm-hmm. approach. It's easy to criticize marketing approaches. But I think one of the really important things is to uh, listen to the people. So, what, what, why, what would it, what, what would it take for you to come? Mm-hmm. Why, why haven't you been going? And what can we do in, in in order to fulfill what we think you need and and to help you understand how the church will contribute to to you instead of because it, it is we don't want to we don't want to encourage i wouldn't want to encourage pastors just to simply say you need to be here because mm-hmm. uh, there are all kinds of ways in the midst of the way we practice church all kinds of ways we can do it mm-hmm. Dr. i would uh i would urge pastors and leaders um early on to to educate Members of the church mm-hmm. of what the church is, what it does, what its function is. First of all, if there's a, a new a visitors or new members class or something like that, to give them a basic ecclesiology doctrine of the mm-hmm. church. I would also um, encourage them to very quickly get people involved and mm-hmm. and actually live out the priesthood of all believers that that equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Uh, let people know that they're not just wanted at church; they're needed there. And be specific. We need you for this. We want you to be involved in this. It's really hard to to feel dislocated from a church when you're dependent on and dep- and your mm-hmm. your your presence is uh, is actually felt and needed. Mm-hmm. So I would uh, encourage them to do what they're supposed to be doing: equipping the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So what I've heard throughout our conversation is that we need to further, you know, in addressing this dramatic trend mm-hmm. that we see we need to help people understand what the church is the new covenant community correct that's mm-hmm. what you you said <laughs> and um its purpose and dr siegel you kind of walked through a variety of things that mm-hmm. it does and, and descriptions and we need to help people understand that and then we need to also recognize that we have been commanded to mm-hmm. go and we need to mm-hmm. you know that's not legalism to be obedient <laughs> right. and um, and really to recognize that our presence and um, is physically important is spiritually important for ourselves as well as for other people mm-hmm. and to disregard that is to disregard much of what we see in scripture talking about the community of believers mm-hmm. and I mean to essentially disobey, Mm -hmm. but not even just that. We're missing out on deep spiritual things that the Lord, and nutrients that the Lord Mm -hmm. has for us. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for being here and kind of talking us through through Mm this strangely difficult topic, you know, but you wouldn't wouldn't think it is, but there's so many layers of um, 
of understanding that I think people have kind of trailed off, you know, mm-hmm. over the years. And so helping us maybe find a better path. So we really appreciate your time. Thanks. And we thank you for listening. And if you have a topic you'd like for us to consider for a future episode, please feel free to email us at the table at dts.edu. That's the table at dts.edu. And be sure to join us next time as we discuss issues of God and culture. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. Thank you.